1: Hi. Fever Dreams is no longer producing new episodes, so I wanted to share another political podcast from The Daily Beast. It's called The New Abnormal. Enjoy this episode and subscribe at thedailybeast.com slash podcast or on your favorite major podcast player. Aaron Reed is an independent journalist who is without a doubt one of the most essential voices out there for keeping abreast of the latest efforts by anti-trans activists to chip away, if not eliminate, the right of trans people to, well exist. She publishes the excellent newsletter Erin in the Morning at Substack, where, among other things, she tracks anti-LGBTQ plus legislation around the world. Erin, thank you so much for being here.
2: Hi, thank you so much for having me on.
1: Absolutely. So let's start with what happened to Zoe Zephyr, what is still happening to Zoe Zephyr, the first openly transgender person elected to the state legislature in Montana. On Wednesday, she was banned from the Montana House after a week of not being allowed to speak all because she told republicans that if they voted for some truly hateful anti-trans legislation quote i hope the next time there's an invocation when you bow your heads in prayer you see the blood on your hands i guess first talk about this legislation erin which has now in fact actually passed
2: Absolutely. And for full disclosure, Representative Zephyr is also my romantic partner. I just want to disclose that up front. The legislation in Montana is particularly harsh. Montana has passed and has heard uh, at least 12 bills that target the community this year. Now the bill that Zoe Representative Zephyr was speaking on was SB ninety nine in Montana. And this essentially withdraws all transgender youth, anybody under eighteen from gender affirming care. So puberty blockers, hormone therapy, etc. Doesn't matter if they've been on it for a long time. It's a complete right. ban. Now After making that strong statement against the bill, they refused to let her speak for three straight days after. Basically, every time she punched in her light, they wouldn't call on her and they never alleged that she broke any rules because they never actually held her to account. The first time she tried to speak on another bill. It was actually another anti-trans bill, SB 458, which removes transgender people from 40 different areas of code in Montana. So it removes protections for birth certificates, driver's licenses, death certificates, bathrooms, everything. It's basically like an omnibus anti-trans bill. And not only did they not allow her to speak on it, the bill itself erased trans people by and large. And so it was kind of this weird
1: symbolic terrible thing so first they silenced her then they just outright banned her from coming to work basically can we hope that the eventual fallout from this is similar to what we saw with the tennessee three
2: In the last 24 hours, I've seen her on every major news network, both in the United States and even in the UK. I I know that she was on BBC and I know that she was on a number of other outlets. And so I think that she is getting her message out there and trying to silence her. All they've done is give her a bigger megaphone to let people know what's going on in these state houses, because a lot of people don't really follow state houses that much. People don't really follow state politics that much. But I can tell you that these are the front lines of democracy and these are the front lines of where these issues get debated and addressed and the talking points get developed. And so I think that giving her this platform, and she's such an eloquent speaker on the harms that these bills cause, I don't think that Republicans have done themselves any favors.
1: You know, I'm sort of over the whole, oh, isn't it ironic, the hypocrisy thing. But the fact that it was the Montana House Freedom Caucus that wanted her silenced. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that is just so particularly rich that it was this group that calls themselves a Freedom Caucus that wanted to take away her right to speak.
2: And we've seen this on a number of bills this year. You know, there, there are Republicans, for instance, that claim to be champions of free speech that will then tell teachers that they have to misgender their trans students, basically compelling their speech. We see this in online environments where you have somebody like Elon Musk coming into Twitter and claiming to be a free speech champion and then suddenly clamping down on so much speech on the platform. And so like, this is not... Super surprising because I, too, am over the oh, they're hypocrites thing. I think that they lean into this and they know it.
1: Yeah. I mean, they just look, they don't mean what they say when they say they're for free speech or for freedom or whatever. So they certainly don't mind being called hypocrites. It's all some kind of sick and twisted game to them anyway, is the way I sort of feel at this point. So talk to me again about this bill. You mentioned that it would stop even people who are on certain medications would no longer be allowed to take them. Talk about how dangerous that might be.
2: Absolutely. Uh, so whenever you are trans and you are on medication and, and you know, you've transitioned, you, you've you been taking your hormones for, for a few years, getting pulled off is, is traumatic. It's It hurts, you know, th- medically, like physically and mentally. Right. You know, like, for instance, if you're going to take somebody who's 17 years old in Montana and who's been on hormone therapy for three years, and suddenly you basically have the legislature coming in and practicing medicine and saying, nope, you got to pull them off. There's no individualized medical decision making here. Then that 17 year old transgender girl will suddenly go through menopause, essentially. My God. And then likewise, you know, you have the psychological aspect of things because you have Gone through your teenage years and you said, "Okay, I've I've made it. I'm I'm transitioning. I'm I'm good. I'm going to turn 18, and everything's going to be good." And then all of a sudden, bam! You pull them from their their hormones. It's it's a very traumatic experience. And as a trans person myself, I've been through. You know, I've had to go without hormones before. It it sucks. It's not something that you ever want to have to do. And to force that onto kids and and to essentially take away the rights of parents and doctors to use their expertise and their their family decision making. In essence, to support, you know, a Republican agenda to target trans people, I think, and to score political points, I think is it's a very cynical power play. And I don't think it's going to work.
1: Yeah. And it's just yet another example of Adam Sowers' now famous phrase, the cruelty is the point. I mean, it really does seem like they they sort of get off on, like you said, the power trip and being able to do this and inflicting cruelty and pain on people. Exactly. We booked you like a week ago and I was like, just book Aaron whenever we can. There will be 800 (laughs) million things to talk about. And, you know, I was not worried. I was not worried about there not being, unfortunately, you know, stuff like this in the news. But I want to ask you about something you have on your Substack, which is what you call an anti-trans legislative risk map that color codes the states with the darkest red states being the most risky for anti-trans legislation to the darkest blue being the least risky. Is it me or is this map not at all that dissimilar from the electoral map?
2: It isn't all that dissimilar. There are some minor differences, though, and and they're, they're small, but there are differences that are worth pointing out. You know, we see places like Kansas, Wyoming, Alaska. These are pretty staunchly Republican states However, they also have a little bit of that independent, moderate streak still going for them. And and as a result, you've seen, for instance, in Wyoming, you haven't seen any of these anti trans bills make it through. And and Wyoming is, you know, I think it's like 90% Republican. And then likewise, in North Carolina, there's an interesting thing going on too. If you look at my map, you'll notice North Carolina is low risk on my map. And that's because this all started Eight years ago in North Carolina, they had the bathroom ban, which made news all over the world and and it caused companies to pull out. And as a result, North Carolina has been shell-shocked on this. You know, they've not been willing to push anti-trans legislation because they know where this leads. And I think that they learned their lesson, but a lot of these other states have not learned their lesson. And if you look, you know, just today, there was a Fox News poll put out. So done by Fox News organization, the polling output is independent, but they are still yes. under the Fox News umbrella. And it was something like 86% of people that responded said that laws targeting families of transgender kids are a major problem. And, you know, so it was like only 14% of people thought that, you know, we need more laws that target trans kids. And I think that Republicans are very much overplaying their hand on this. And and we see in recent elections in right. Michigan, the, the GOP chair there essentially stated that he thought that we lost this election in all three houses of government because of all of the anti-trans ads. We saw in Wisconsin the Supreme Court race just now. They launched a million dollars in anti-trans ads against the Democratic choice for the Supreme Court there. She overperformed. She won by 11 points and that was supposed to be a squeaker of a race. Anti-trans politics are not playing well.
1: Yeah, I mean, that definitely does seem to be a cause for optimism. Obviously, it sucks that we have to go through this in every state. Well, not every state, but in a lot of red states before we get to the point where it reaches like a North Carolina thing where they're like, oh, no, we tried that. It doesn't turn out well for us. But I do want to talk about some other states. On Wednesday, you wrote a piece saying Texas could be the next state to end most adult trans care. And you noted that the day before on tuesday the texas senate had passed what you refer to as one of the most extreme pieces of legislation aimed at gender affirming care what makes it so extreme is it because it drops the pretense of being all about the children
2: yeah so so what we what we have seen is an increasing willingness to target transgender adults recently just a couple weeks ago the missouri attorney general andrew bailey released a letter that stated that any doctors that were prescribing gender affirming care would basically essentially have to stop for most trans adults. Like for instance, they created this catch 22 process where if you have anxiety or depression, they have to be cured before you can start gender affirming care. But also you have to have severe dysphoria before starting gender affirming care. Severe dysphoria will cause anxiety and depression. Oh my God. And so it created this this catch 22 to where basically it like bans it entirely. And then not long after we saw You know what happened with 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 Texas passing a bill that essentially would close down almost every clinic in the state that provides trans care and this is borrowing off of the anti-abortion movement this basically pulls from that movement where they used very similar laws they were called trap laws and these are called targeted restrictions on abortion providers we are seeing the exact same playbook utilized against gender affirming care clinics and gender affirming care at large
1: That's unreal. And and it also seems like also on the model of abortion bills, it's this same sort of tattletale type thing where they want people to turn in trans people or families of trans people and stuff like that, the way they did with abortions.
2: Yeah. So even in Missouri, they launched a forum. They launched a forum that that was essentially a transgender concern forum. And people, you know, people saw that. And they very quickly reported a lot of concerns about the law itself and about the attorney general and about all of the terrible anti-trans things going on in in Missouri. And so, you know, like we are seeing an increased willingness and to use tattletailing methods. I know that in South Dakota, I believe it might have been North Dakota, one of the Dakotas, they had a law that utilizes a bounty system very similar to the abortion bounty system, where every gender clinic that you report that does gender affirming care for trans youth could be sued. And essentially, you could get a bounty. Now, the bounty didn't get paid to you, it got paid to the state. But like if you if you turn people in. And so, yeah, like we are seeing again, this is borrowing from the anti-abortion movement. And we're also seeing this increase in, in other ways. So, you know, last year, Missouri, they were about to pass a law that was going to ban going out-of-state for abortions. In the meantime, Idaho then introduced a law that would ban going out-of-state for gender-affirming care. We're starting to see that again this year. Idaho just passed a law that makes going out-of-state for an abortion a crime, and Indiana, as well as Mississippi, as well as Kentucky, passed laws that make aiding and abetting gender transition a crime. Now, this even applies to therapists. So if you go to a therapist and that therapist uses your pronoun An overzealous prosecutor could then say, oh, well, they were aiding and abetting gender affirming care. And so that's that's where we're at right now. You know, they're starting to target other people, anybody that affirms trans people.
1: Right. Oh, God, it's absolutely unreal. So what are the states at the top of your risk list? And where does Florida, Florida seems to get a lot of coverage because of Ron DeSantis, but where does Florida actually rank for you?
2: Florida ranks very high for me. There are a few states that seem to continually be trying to one up each other to get to the top of like the worst states for being trans list. And those states are right now Florida, Tennessee, Montana, and Texas. All four of these states It seems like every time one state does something really harsh, and I'll I'll also add Missouri now since their attorney general is banning adult care, but it seems like all five of these states, each time one of them does something really harsh, another one will then jump in and try to one up. I'll give you like a really good example. Florida, they just recently pushed forward a bill that would make accusing somebody of transphobia, racism, sexism, or homophobia, defamation of character worth $35,000 in fines. And that's just for an accusation. Now, here's the kicker. You cannot use their scientific or religious beliefs to prove truth of your claim that they're being racist or transphobic or homophobic. And so like basically they're just like yeah, you if you accuse somebody, then we're going to charge you $35,000. Like this is ridiculous. And I think that most people see how ridiculous it is. But the far right of the Republican Party has just completely gripped the party in some of these states.
1: Yeah, that seems slight problematic constitutionally, but I know they don't care about things like that. But it seems like they might run afoul of the Constitution there to me. Absolutely. You know, you mentioned Florida and I want uh, a couple of weeks ago you brought to my attention the fact that uh, a group called Equality Florida had issued a travel advisory, basically telling LGBTQ plus people to avoid non-essential travel to that state. I cannot think in my lifetime of something like that actually happening.
2: I will be visiting Florida in June to give a speech to a pride rally, one of the pride rallies that is still being held this year. I know that a number of pride parades have been canceled. However, I know that after July 1st, if their bathroom ban passes there, I can't go to Florida. This bathroom ban that they're passing in Florida right now essentially states that if you're trans and you go into a bathroom, a cisgender person can say, leave. And if you don't comply with them, then you basically get arrested. And it, it kind of like creates this second-class citizenship thing going on there where like, cis people have this inherent power to compel trans people and point them out of bathrooms. And like, you have to subordinate yourself to them. It's, it's debasement. It's terrible. And the things that I think about are like, yeah, I'm not going to travel to Florida willingly, but like, what if I'm on a flight and they have to make a connection in Florida? Right. It's hard.
1: I mean, thank God we don't have an analogy in this country to the situation you just talked about where a certain kind of person couldn't use the same bathroom as another kind of person. It would just be terrible if we had an example in history to look at to see how awful that was. But I guess we don't.
2: Yeah, that would be very terrible, I guess.
1: Uh, Yeah. Before I let you go, I have said before that as a Jew, I find the rhetoric and actions from the right regarding trans people to be the most analogous to straight up Nazism, the dehumanizing language, what seems like the urge to erase or to wipe transgender folk from the face of the earth, et cetera. But look, I'm a cishet male, so I want to get your take on the state of things for trans people in 2023 America. Do you think... It gets better, as the slogan says, or are or, or you just very pessimistic, somewhere in the middle. What do you think the future is here?
2: I think it's gonna be a hard next few years, but I do think that it gets better. I don't think that Republicans are going to stop doing what they're doing. And I think that as long as they control some state legislatures, the states are going to do terrible things. There are some states that are getting better and there are states that are passing legislation that protects trans people. And I'm seeing culturally, you know, a movement of people that are willing to stand up for trans people in their communities. And I think that on the long arc of things, I do think that we are going to find liberation and a place for equality. It's just going to be a fight. It's going to it's going to be hard. It doesn't none of this comes easy. But I was around for the gay rights fight in the 2003 sure. or 2005 time. I remember 32 states passing anti-gay marriage amendments. It looked bleak then as well. But People didn't stop fighting and the culture kept on moving forward. And I think that that's the one thing that gives me hope.
1: Yeah, I mean, those of us who are old enough know that this is pretty much, it's like a reboot of that, of the anti-gay panic that this country went through. You know, I hope you're right. And and look, another thing I've also said before on the show is, you know, I have nieces who are in their, you know, late teens, early 20s. I just sort of look at them in the ease with which they talk about having friends who are non-binary or who are... A lot of things, it's just to them, it's just like, oh yeah, they're an NB, And then they just move on with whatever they were saying, you know, and it's just, they, they just have an absolutely fluid use of the language and it's a shrug of the shoulders for them. And so I just, I hope that my nieces, in this case, I hope are representative of their generation. And that, you know, things, as you say, it may be a long, dark period for the next few years, but that ultimately things will get better because young people aren't going to put up with this nonsense.
2: I truly believe that. I do truly believe that, you know, things are changing. I love the acceptance that the younger generation seems to have. Nobody is born with hate. That's a learned thing. And I feel like If there's one thing that that we can be very proud of of our kids and like of our young adults right now it's that they have not learned how to hate they haven't learned how to hate trans people and queer people and gay people people from my generation i'm a millennial you know just to age myself a little bit and i know that like we had to grow up in a time where there were many homophobic slurs that were thrown about on the regular i mean i know for trans people if you go to watch any movie earlier than 2011 any comedy you know, there's a 50-50 shot that you're going to get a random transphobic joke. And like we're moving past that as a society. And I'm, I'm really happy that the younger generation right now, they are pushing forward on this.
1: Aaron, thank you so much for being here. Your newsletter, Erin in the Morning, is an essential read. I encourage our listeners to rush out and subscribe to it. When I say rush out, I mean jump on your computer. It really is. If you want to stay abreast of what's going on across the whole country, uh, you can't do any better than reading Erin in the Morning. Aaron, thank you so much again.
2: Thank you so much. I appreciate it
1: we had such an incredible time making this podcast and want to thank you for joining us each week as we explored the shifting landscape of the fringe right to continue
2: following the impact ultra conservatives have on the country please tune into the new abnormal where our colleagues danielle moody and andy levy talk to some of the biggest names in politics every tuesday friday and sunday
1: Listen at the dailybees.com/podcasts, or your favorite major podcast player.
2: And thanks again for joining us on Fever Dreams.